is what no. I'm going to no. do. No! There you no. go. I'm going to turn you off because you're distracting. Anyway, welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 64 of Visit to NYC, recorded on March 7th, 2017. My name is Julie Fabian Balzer, and I can't stop giggling because my mom and I are on Skype, and we do not normally have a camera on, but we do today, and she is making faces. As I said, as I said to her earlier, I said she's 71 years old. This is very inappropriate, but anyway, so... Hi, Julie. There you go. So, like I said, my name's Julie Faye Van Balzer, and with me is my co-host and a very demure and austere old lady that I like to call Mom. Her name is Eileen Shue Balzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. Well, I know where I got my my impeccable sense of decorum from. Thanks so much for passing that on down the line. Apple tree. Yes, yeah, so I uh, I called this uh, podcast uh, Julie Goes to NYC or A Visit to NYC or something like that because I have just gotten back from a trip to, amazingly enough, NYC. Um, and so I drove down, which I haven't done in a long time. I think I drove down maybe once last year, but mostly I usually take the train. But I was reminded actually of how close Boston and New York are. It was actually a really easy drive. Um, and the reason I drove is because I had, first of all, I was carrying a ton of stuff because in New York, I was going to do a little shoot with my brother at YouTube space. I was going to see some friends and then I was teaching on the way back. So I actually, and this is so sad. I had six bags (laughs) when I pulled up to the hotel. I was like, yes, I'm staying for a month plus a year. Um, but yeah, it was just so many different events that I was going to that I had to have that much luggage. Also, it was peculiar weather report. It was weirdly warm and then very cold toward the end of the week. So you actually, it was like going to places with two different climates. It was cray-cray. Like there was one day that it was 70 and then there was one day when it was 19. And, you know, packing for that is hilarious. Plus which, when you're in NYC, you're exposed to the elements in a different way because you don't live the car life and you have to drag yourself around and up and down the subway. And it's just a different way of dressing. Oh, yeah. You got to schlep it. I was reminded of that. And like I was also reminded, it's so funny because like the reason I always have a huge purse and people make fun of how big my purse is, is that I just having lived in New York City for so long, I'm so used to having to carry everything for all day and now that I'm a suburbanite living in you know Boston area like I can carry a tiny person it's kind of a wonderful luxury my back says thank you well yes because for people in New York your backpack or your purse is your car oh yeah big time it's true so uh, I thought – so one of the things that I did when I was in New York is I went to MoMA twice because luckily my hotel was like a couple blocks away. And so – MoMA. Say MoMA. Oh, sorry. So MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, if you're not aware. By the way, they say that there are five great art museums in the world. I mean who they is is questionable and blah, 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 blah. But theoretically, the they in that sentence claim that the five great art museums of the world are MoMA, Museum of Modern Art, the Met, also in New York, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Louvre, or whatever, however you pronounce that really in French, in Paris, uh, the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia, 
and the Prado, El Prado in uh, España, in Spain. Uh, and I have been to four of the five, but I got to make it to Spain someday uh, to get to the Prado. Anyway, but that aside, so I went to MoMA twice, and I knew that I was going to meet my friend Natalie at MoMA because um, we, we were going to go see the Bacabi exhibit, but when I got to New York, I was like, I want to go and do a quick run-through, and the reason for this, because um, Natalie was also like, hey, you already saw the exhibit. Are you sure you still want to go? Because she had seen like my photos on Instagram and stuff, and I said, of course, because I think you see things differently. It's like watching a movie for the second time. Like, why would you want to go see an exhibit so close? And there are a couple times that I've been to art exhibits, you know, two or three times in fairly close um, succession, ta succession timeline-wise. Um, and, and what I think happens is, for instance, the second time through, I saw things in his early art that were later large or major motifs in his later work which I didn't notice the first time through because they're just tiny little sort of bits and scraps. But it's like you, you, the second time through, you could see how Picabia had come to things later in his work based on what he had started earlier. Um, so that was really cool. I also, you know, because I do try to take a lot of photos from my blog to share with people, um, that's actually kind of a pain in the butt to do. Like to actually, t I mean, it really is like taking photos in an exhibit, especially in a crowd exhibit, you got to wait for people to move or you got to wait for people to come in to get the scale. You got to go up close. You got to avoid the guards. You got to, you know, I mean, it actually takes an enormous amount of time and energy to take the photos, let alone edit them and stuff. But I mean, so I was like, I want to just get the photo taking out of the way so that when I'm here with my friend, I don't have to be that annoying person. If you can imagine trying to have a conversation with somebody whose main focus is trying to take a photo of every painting, it's really annoying, right? So I was like, I want to just spend the time that I'm with my friend looking at stuff and talking about stuff and being engaged and like actually living my real life and not just documenting my life. Because sometimes I think, you know, we spend so much time being like, oh, I want to make sure I get a photo of this or I want to make sure I get a video of this instead of like being in the moment itself. It's like watching the Jumbotron screen at a basketball game instead of actually watching the game, which is totally seductive because if you're sitting in the nosebleed seats, you know, it's a lot closer to you <laughs> than the game is. Um, but it's just like a reminder, you know, watch what's happening. I remember being at a friend's wedding and everybody was taking rocks from the beach and throwing them into the ocean as like a tribute to the couple and like, you know, whatever and I remember I was so busy taking photos that I was like watching the moment through the screen on my camera and I thought what am I doing like who cares this much you know what I mean like let it go so anyway so so that was a little bit about like getting to see it twice the other nice thing of course is because I had because she had seen the Bacabi exhibit previously and then by my going once by myself I had seen the Bacabi uh, exhibit previously we were able to like point out to each other things that we liked and really have a conversation about it and then it also left time to go and see some other things in the museum because you know Museums are fantastic. I love museums, but you you really can't. I mean, I, maybe some people can. I can't spend six hours in a museum. I would die. It would kill me. That said, I think I actually am spending many hours in a museum tomorrow, but that's kind of an accident. Anyway, more on that later. But um, just thinking about, you know, uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of revisiting things, why that's important. Because I think, you know, uh, this was an example, obviously, of revisiting a physical exhibit, 
But also sometimes, like, people say, what do you do with your art journals? Do you look through them? And I think I do sometimes, rarely, though. But I think that the act of doing that is much like this experience I had of visiting the exhibit twice, which is to say I start to see in my old work where my current work is. Or I start to see in my old work motifs I'd like to revisit. And I think that is the reason to look back is to sort of see how far you've come or what you've lost along the way that you're interested in re-grabbing a hold of. Don't you often find that sometimes there's a book that you read and you were too young or you were in a different place in your life? And when you reread it, suddenly you have a different appreciation for it? I do. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that um, there are times, you know, that I start to read a book and I go, I've read this book before, I think. But, you know, you're not quite sure because you can't quite remember, you know, whether it seems familiar because it is familiar or because it seems familiar. And, I mean, I've had that happen with movies, with TV shows, with all kinds of things, right? But um, I think that there there is something about when you – I like, I couldn't – there are things in the Bacabia exhibit that would not have interested me – five years ago, right? Give me an example. I don't so, know anything okay. about... So, for example, okay. yeah. he he did all this work in which he took paintings that didn't sell and painted pictures over them, but not in the sense that we would think. Like, we think... Like, like when I say you paint a picture on top of something, it's like you turn a flower into a, you know, bull or whatever. Like, you transform the painting, right? Essentially by blacking out what's under there. What I mean by painted over is it's a portrait of a man and then he does a line drawing of an angel on top of the man, but not meant to disguise it, just sort of with it and in a different style entirely. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Intriguing. Interesting. So did it work for you? It did work for me. There were some of them that I didn't love and there were but I appreciated the thought behind and there were a couple of them that I was like that worked out like a genius and I actually am remembering something that uh what is her name she's the director of of the city company uh Ann Bogart Ann Bogart I'm remembering something that Ann Bogart said at a talk back of a play that she directed where she said you have a choice when you're an artist and she was talking about being a theatrical artist but you have a choice when you're an artist which is you can do you know, if you do 10 things, you, you might have nine or eight terrible, miserable failures, but then the other one or two are going to be brilliant because what you're going for is something crazy and beyond and just pushing so hard against it. And of course, failure is the inevitable outcome, you know, 80% of the time, pretty much, right? But the moments that you do find it, those are like true brilliance. Or you can have like 10 mediocre, totally fine, good, passable things. And that is a choice that you you make sometimes about whether to have those things that are, you know, you can sort of regularly have things that are fine and pretty and commercial success and all that kind of stuff. Or you can go for broke and fall flat on your face a whole bunch of times but have a couple that are truly brilliant. And I think I felt that way about a lot of Picabia's work, which is I uh, there were stuff that I was like, okay, okay, it's like an exercise. I get it. But like at, in this room of paintings – the, that one and that one are so brilliant, so amazing, that whatever it took to get here was worth it. So will you put some photos? I will. Out. 
I will. I took a ton. Uh, Natalie mocked me because I took like 175 photos on a day that I wasn't going to take a lot of photos. That was the day with her because we airdropped our photos to each other. Um, but uh, <laughs> I got a lot of photos to edit. Because besides the Bacabia exhibit, we also saw um, there was a Russian uh, uh, expressionism exhibit. And what else did we see that was of interest? Oh, we went to poke around in the permanent collection a little bit. You know, we did we did a nice little overview. I mean, the, the, the hilariousness of the MoMA permanent collection is you're like, oh, yeah, there's just like a totally famous Van Gogh. Oh, yeah, there's the most amazing Picasso painting. Oh, wait, there's 12 Picasso paintings. Oh, yeah, just a room full of Matisse. You know, your usual average run-of-the-mill kind of day. Oh, and yeah, and every Matisse in this room is a famous Matisse. It's not like the off Matisse that, he, you know, you've never heard of, but at least it has a signature on it. Totally spoiled. So totally you've spoiled. become jaded. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Whatever, Pollock. I know. Well, it just reminds me. So I went, when I went to this lecture about making modern and they were talking about the curator was talking about how they just don't have enough work by Jackson Pollock to keep rotating out pieces. And they're having to go to like works on paper and sort of secondary works. And I was thinking how spoiled that like in the basement of MoMA are not on display are more Jackson Pollock's, more famous Jackson Pollock works than most museums own to display. Isn't that kind of like crazy? Yes. But it also, like, I mean, this gets to the whole museumification of things just in terms of, like, is it fair that museums collect all this work, which, they, you know, they're basically warehousing and may never get seen as opposed to spreading it around so lots of people can see it. Like, why should a few museums own, like, in such an enormous percentage of the really great works and they don't even go on display and blah, 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 blah. I mean, who knows? Well, more and more museums are digitizing their collections so that you can see them from your home. It won't be the same, the scale, the color, whatever, but at least you'll be able to see the image. I, I think there's something to be said for the preservation aspect. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did notice, by the way, when I was at MoMA, that they'll do a print-on-demand for posters and stuff like that. Like, you can just go on their website and you can say, I want this, you know, image at this size. I mean, there's some standard sizes, obviously, and you can order it. Oh, not for free, obviously. No, not for free, obviously. But the thing is, if you're going to buy a poster for a museum, I often have the problem, and I'm sure you do, which is I'm like, that's not the image I want. Mm -hmm. Right? And now I think with the prices of print-on-demand coming down, you can get the image that you want. I thought that was pretty cool. In the olden days, I used to search for postcards in the mm. gift shop of the image that I wanted. And, of course... Three quarters of the time, what the the thing that I liked was not the thing that was. Well, it's also so funny because they didn't let used to let you take photos of the artwork. You know, I mean, this is a huge thing. People ask me all the time, "How do you get away with taking all those photos?" I'm like, "Because you're allowed to take photos. I don't ever take photos of things you're not allowed to take photos of. I'm not a, you know, insane person. But I think the thing is like." It actually, museums, et cetera, have realized that it behooves them to allow you to take photos because most people, after they post their photos, are just, it's a way of getting people to come in the door to see it, of getting excited by it, you know? All right. Well, I'm excited by the thought of seeing some of Picabia and learning about him because I knew I knew nothing. Okay. So my saddest part of the, about the Picabia is there were three 
paintings that I loved and it just happened that those three paintings are the ones from private collections that you're not allowed to take photos of. I got yelled at three times. And I did get yelled at only because, and I just said that I don't take photos of things you're not allowed to take photos of, because I was taking photos that were overall big photos of the rooms, and then the guard was like, you can't take a photo of that painting. And I was like, oh, because I wasn't close enough to see the tiny little plaque next to it that says, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no photography. So does that mean you might secretly have a photo or two? I might, but I was, I mean, they're pretty on you. They caught me right at the beginning of, like, holding my camera up. Hmm. So, there you go. Sad. Well-trained guards. Well-trained guards. Excellently trained. So, besides the museum. Yeah. What did I did do? I ate. I ate like a banshee. I ate all the food that Banshees I could find. Don't eat. Okay, well, then I ate, like, what eats a lot? I ate like a goat. I ate everything I could find. I ate street food. I ate fancy food. I ate and I liked it. Banshee scream. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about YouTube space, your project with your brother. Yes. So my brother is a filmmaker. Um, and he has, he, has a, he has an actual degree, like a, an MFA in film. And um, he also films and edits most of my Scan and Cut videos, which is why they look a little bit different than some of the other videos I do, because he's fancier than I am. Um, and so we decided to do a collaboration, a collaborative project. So we worked together on this project for this pillow, which is called a Snug L, which is an L-shaped pillow. Um, and so I made all these props for the videos, um, which included fake snow, light up clouds, like a huge puffy cloud version of the pillow, a giant bow tie, all sorts of stuff, which you can see in my vlog. Um, I tried to include images of it. Um, but so we decided to film part of it at YouTube space. So YouTube space, I think I've talked about it before, but essentially if you have more than 10,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, you can book a day a month in YouTube space. And if you have like more than 100,000 subscribers, you can book like two days a month, etc. And I think, it, you know, if you have like a million subscribers, the world is your oyster. Um, but anyway, so this is our first time trying to film there. And so it's all this free studio space. I mean, it's no cost to you and they have all this equipment for you to use. It's kind of an amazing resource that YouTube and Google provide. And it's in the Google, uh, offices in Chelsea market. Um, and so one of the reasons I've never done anything there is that for me, you, you have to crew a shoot. Like, it requires quite a large crew of people to make the shoot happen. Uh, we had 10 people, maybe, and we're still short on getting everything done. Um, so, I mean, that tells you. It's just like you just you need a lot of humans in order to make it happen. So, for someone like me, it doesn't make any sense for me to do that kind of stuff but you know uh for something kind of fancy it was fun so i made a lot of the props on uh in the space which is part of the reason i had like huge bags of supplies that i brought with me to bring there and do it 
Um, and the filming was fun and interesting and it was sort of neat to have, you know, read through his script and talk to him about what he was looking for and then to like bring him these objects and to see how they fit into his vision, you know, and I, I was reminded how much, um, how much craft and art of actual things is a part of movie making or filmmaking of any kind, really. I mean, if you think about, you know, La La Land, which, you know, was has been a really popular movie, you know, all those costumes, all those sets, all that stuff, like, people make those. People made those things. So... Anyway, it was an it was a good I think it was a good collaboration between the two of us. A good mixture of what he does and what I do. I'm looking forward to seeing it. So, did you fight? No, he did tell me because most of the people who were helping with the shoot, in fact, all the people who were helping with the shoot other than me were friends of his. And so, I of course am the older sister and like to make him uncomfortable. So, everybody's obviously doing it for free just to be nice. And I was like, oh, so how did Matthew trick you into doing this? And I was, and he was like, Julie, don't be a jerk right away. You know, <laughs> it was just our usual sibling rivalry. Good times. Nice. Yeah. So would you do it again? I would do it again. You know, it was a lot of work and I was totally exhausted. But I feel like I know now things that I didn't know before. And I would plan differently a little bit. But um, overall, I mean, I think it was a good... It was a good situation, and I enjoy I, I enjoy collaborating with him. You know, he's smart, and he's capable, and he uh, and, and we work in two sort of different spaces, you know. So he is excited to let me do my thing, and I'm not interested in stepping on his toes in terms of what he's doing. Good. Yeah, so it was good. Let's talk about your going to see Sleep No More. Yes. So a friend of mine really wanted to see Sleep No More and I had heard about it. So for anybody who hasn't, it's a take on Macbeth um, by Shakespeare. And it, it, it's everything I had heard about it was that it was like a modern take, blah, 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 blah. And I had expected it to be very much like a play. It was nothing like a play. So you go, so tickets were expensive, which also surprised me. But after I went through the experience of it, I was like, no, I get it 100% why tickets are expensive because it's like a crew of a bajillion people. It's an entire hotel. So it's, so it's this. Take us through it step by step. Okay, let's go step by step from the very beginning. So it's at the McKittrick Hotel. You go. You have to wait in line outside. They check your IDs because you have to be over a certain age to go in. Uh, I, I think it's 21 plus, but I'm not entirely sure because uh, that wasn't an issue for me. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> They, so you wait outside and they check your IDs and then they let you in in small groups. And then the small and the small group you go down, it's uh, immediately sort of dark inside. You check your coat. You're not allowed to have a purse or a backpack or anything. You just have to be a, you. That's it. Okay. Um, and you go and then you, they don't, and then when you give your name at the box office, they give you a playing card. And then you take your playing card and you go up an incredibly dark set of stairs and through a really dark corridor. 
I, I, when I say dark, I am ta I am talking dark. Okay, it is not lit. The walls are black. The floor is black. The ceiling's black. It is dark. And then you emerge into kind of a little bar that has a very speakeasy feel. There's like a gypsy fortune teller. There's a kind of like, hey, how you guys doing tonight kind of MC. There's, you know, girls in like low cut sort of 20 style gowns. There's, you know, people behind the bar and you can have um, drinks or whatever there. Um, etc. There are VIP tickets that you can buy, which like you get a VIP seating section. You get to go in whenever you want, blah, 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 blah. We didn't do any of that. Um, and so then they call you by card number, aces and ones, aces and ones. You know, if you've got a two on your card, if you've got a three on your card, whatever it is, you can go in. What's a one? Oh, I guess they don't have a one. Aces and twos, it must have been. Must be. Must be. There you go. Shows how often I play cards. Whatever it is. Anyway. Um, so you can you don't have to go in when your card is called. You can still like enjoy your drink or whatever, but if you want to go in, you can. So you go in and you are given a white plastic mask. And you go into this little room in which you're huddled into and you are told the rules. You cannot speak from this point on. Okay, you must wear your mask at all times. If you feel overwhelmed by anything, you can come back to the bar at any time. And then you can go in and out of the bar into the performance. Uh, if you have, have a question or a problem, there are people in black masks who will direct you. And my experience is that they don't speak. They just sort of gesture you. Like they point or they, they put their hands up to say no or whatever. But they just gesture you to what you're supposed to do. Then you file into a long, narrow, old elevator. And there's only a few of you in each little yeah, group, so right? Yeah, so in each group I'd say there's maybe 20 to 25 people. So you're packed into this little elevator, all 25 of you. And the elevator operator is creepy and speaking in this low, weird monotone like this. And so he opens the door and people start filing out. And I was in the back of the elevator. And all of a sudden, with like five of us left in the elevator, he just puts his arm out to stop this person who's trying to get out and closes the elevator door and says, it's for the best. And takes, <laughs> I know, and takes us to a different floor, which was kind of like, okay. Right. So they say to you, this is your adventure. Follow people who interest you. Follow anything that interests you. Like it's an individual adventure. And I totally didn't get what that meant until I went in. But basically, you are wandering through the la this incredible labyrinth of rooms. Okay. And floors. I My Fitbit showed that I had walked 7,000 steps in the like two hours that I was at this thing. Um, and you, uh, so you'll go in and out of rooms and the, the, it is like an art installation. Like I went into this one room, which had a baby crib and then it had all these headless dolls that were hanging from the ceiling in this like swirling mobile, like, I mean, just fascinating stuff. I wish I had been able to take pictures or videos, you know, um, every room has like a feeling, a vibe, a theme, like, and the whole hotel thing is there with all the old, um, 
slots for keys and all that kind of stuff and there's displays and there's I mean it, it there's furniture there's kitchen area there's dining there's um and the other thing is you there are closed doors some of them open some of them don't you don't know until you try them you suddenly hear music coming from places or see lights or you hear people running and the running is usually because the actors move from scene to scene which could be floors apart and you basically follow them and when you hear 30 people running it's because they're chasing this actor who they all are moving pretty quickly do you know what I mean through the space um, I walked into one room and the actress you know was topless and wet and she turns towards me and starts coming towards me so I step aside to get out of her way and instead she hands me a towel and indicates that I'm supposed to dry her so that was interesting uh, I know we're not supposed to say interesting so that was a dramatic moment because um, you know I'm trying to be respectful of drying this naked half naked woman the whole thing anyway so then what was so talk about all through it it's a connection it's so all telling them it is a connection story. to Macbeth. so like she was one of the witches and like there's a whole ritual thing that she had done but like the connection is tenuous at best in my opinion like there are some moments like there it, it I, we went down to the basement level at some point and like there is burnham wood in there but you would never know that that's why those trees are down there and we didn't even get to see the scene that's around that and i think we would have had to stay a lot longer than we did um to get the full effect we left a little earlier than i would have liked just because i had had a huge day um and was exhausted and like the idea of my you know i was just tired anyway running up and down stairs but so you get there's very little text spoken a lot more of it is done in dance so for instance there's a scene that i watched where lady Macbeth and Macbeth, she's clearly uh i mean if you know the play she's clearly like psyching him up to go and kill um the king duncan Yes, Duncan, and so she's, like, setting him up, but it's not with words. It's all done through dance. Like, she's, you know, seducing him, blah, 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 and then he goes running off, and she's sort of nervously twirling around, and then he comes back, and he's covered in blood, and she puts him in this bathtub. Um, There was a lot of water, by the way, throughout this whole thing, and, in fact, on the top floor, there was this whole room of bathtubs where, at one point, the Lady Macbeth character strips down naked and gets in the tub, and it fills with blood. Anyway, um, so could you have chosen to follow Macbeth as he ran out of the room yes, to go you kill could, Duncan? But they do have rooms they disappear into, which you cannot follow. Okay. So I don't know. If, there were people who followed him. I don't know if they got stopped or if they okay. came back. Um, but, you know, and then so she strips him down and puts him in the bath. And when she strips him down, I mean, these actors are naked a lot. So she strips him down and puts him in the bath, washes him, and then they do this whole dance thing around where, like, they're both tortured and they're, like, sort of making dance love on the bed and stuff. And, like, there's a point where you're – I was walking through a graveyard. I told you – I said, Mom, I thought you'd like it, but I'm not sure that you'd be able to handle it because you really can't see. Like, you really can't see in there. It's very dark. I'd be and, like, tripping and falling. Right, and the floor is so different in different places. Like, there's a dirt floor at one point. There's cobblestones. You hear just like screams coming from places. Um, there was one point that I was like, my contacts were so overwhelmed by the smoke machine that was happening. I also got taken into this hut by this actress who played one of the nurses. 
um, at where she took off my mask and spoon fed me tea. And I was like, oh, God, I hope they disinfect these spoons between <laughs> the people that come in here. Right. But it's like it was an interesting and weird experience because she takes you in and she closes the door. and You really are completely private and then takes off your mask after you've been wearing a mask for an hour and a half and been told you can't take it off, you know. And then, like, then spoon-fed me tea and then spilled tea all over me on purpose and then wiped me off and then told me a story. It was super weird, and I was trying to be, like, respectful of what she was doing. And, like, anyway, uh, very – I would to- – it's the kind of thing where they say every time you go, you have a different experience, and every time uh, – and every person who goes has a different experience because, of course, what parts of the story you catch are different each time, you know? And I think because I know the play Macbeth really well, because it's actually a play I directed back in my directing days, like I knew when there was a valet who was like uh, combing this guy's hair, I was like, oh, that's, you know, getting Duncan ready for like blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I don't think you would know that. Or like there was one moment where this guy was freaking out and like closing and locking this door and out through the glass window, we could see this guy with blood on his face walking through. And I was like, oh, that's the ghost of Banquo. But I don't know how you would know that. Now, the friend I went with didn't know the story of Macbeth and he still enjoyed it and still thought it was fun. Um, so I don't think you have to, but I do think if you do know the story, it just makes it a little bit of a richer experience, but it's definitely also because you can also come out and have a drink and then go back in. I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. And the thing that surprised me is my brother who's lived in New York for many years said to me, I can't believe you went without me. And I said, I can't believe you wanted to go. It doesn't seem like your thing. And he's like, it's such a. He's, and he said it's such like a New York zeitgeist. Like everyone's been, everyone talks about it, you know. I was like, okay, we'll go next time. Great. Because you're clearly able to go more than once. Yeah. And still enjoy it. Didn't you tell me you thought most of the actors were actually dancers? That's what it felt like to me. I mean, listen, all the actors were wearing character shoes when they had shoes on. Most of the scenes where people were uh, together, there was dance involved. There was a lot of nudity, but a comfortability with it that you see more often in dancers than actors. Who know? Um, And, like, my favorite scene was there was a sort of, like, Bacchanal scene of the three witches that involved, like, a guy wearing a horse head and... It was just kind of a crazy strobe light. I mean, I will just say, no one old, no one with epilepsy, no one with <laughs> with uh, walking issues, no one with sight issues. I mean, this is definitely like a young, able-bodied person's show, but fascinating. But that's why it wasn't a play. Like, it wasn't a play. It was an art piece, and it spoke to me more of art and installation. I mean, even if you didn't see any of the actors, just the physical space was flipping fascinated like I would pay money to go in during the day with the lights on just to be able to see for reals what they had done to all the spaces because I kept being fascinated by the set dressing by the way they had transformed things by the you know and it was fun to get to try like you just try every door oh that door is locked Ooh, this door isn't let's go it's a set of stairs I don't know where it goes let's go Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, I'd be interested after you go the second time with your brother to know how it differed. And also since you now have a certain set of expectations, whether it's vastly different. 
Okay, sleep no more. I will. And then sleep you, no after more. your lightning visit to New York, you drove to Connecticut. Yeah, you know, I thought I had enough days in New York, but the day that I was leaving, I was like, this stinks. I hardly got to do anything I wanted. This was way too short. And I just reminded myself, I need to go back. I need to go back more frequently, more often. For I don't know. Anyway. I need to be made of money and just be able to do whatever I want. There you go. Uh, okay, so after that, I went and I taught my classes in Connecticut at Papercraft Clubhouse. So they have a new space. So I taught there two years ago. And um, so this was the first time since I, they moved to their new space, which I think they moved around the beginning of this year, but I'm, maybe it was the beginning of last year, actually. Yeah, that makes more sense to me. Sorry. The beginning of last year. So this is my first time in their, their, I guess it's not their new space anymore, but it was new to me. But it's a great space. So the store is upstairs and there's a huge classroom downstairs. So the biggest class I had had 25 students and it didn't even feel full. Like everybody had their full like half a table, you know, to themselves to use kind of deal. I mean, which I thought was fantastic. And there's plenty of room to walk around. And you know what I mean? Nobody felt like they were, had somebody sitting Unless on their you. face. Smash into the pillars. Unless you smash into the pillars, exactly. Because it's a basement, there were these three white pillars in the middle, which they did warn us not to walk our faces into. So, luckily, I did not. Um, but it's really great. I thought that the students were lovely. Um, the store selection was fantastic. I actually bought some stuff. I don't, uh, I don't always buy stuff at stores I teach at, but this store had stuff I had not seen before and was excited about. Um, and Tracy's just really nice. So that was great. And I got to eat some good Mexican food. I met some lovely students. So it's fun for me when I get to see people, um, you know, who I've seen before years later. Um, or there are a couple women there who were in my Kep Creations class that I taught on the Cape this summer, Mom, because she pulls some people from, like, the Cape and from uh, Rhode Island and stuff like that. Um, there were also – I was very, very flattered that there were a, a bunch of people who came from very far, you know, some women who drove from Virginia. There were some people from central Pennsylvania, um, from Long Island, I mean, quite a few people who had to stay overnight. And that to me is always uh, intimidating a little bit because I feel like I have to make it worth their while. Although the nice thing that many of them said to me was they said, you know, I uh, I needed a weekend away. This, this you, you know, teach so rarely. This was a good opportunity for me and I'm so excited. And, and I always feel like expectations are high at that point, which makes me nervous because I don't want to disappoint anyone. But, you know, it's I think it's wonderful when people go out of their way like that. So that was delightful. Um, and Why don't you tell us about the couple of things that you saw that you bought that you hadn't seen before? Because when you went to... You discovered Art Foamies when you taught in Montreal. Yes, I did. So tell... And, Tell us about this new product that you found. Well, I'm desperately trying to remember the name of it because it was not a product I had seen before and it's got, gone completely out of my head. It's uh, maybe I'll think of it in the meantime. Why don't you describe but, so, it? It's a paper-like substance, but you can wash it and sew it and um, do make bags out of it. It's strong. It's not like... It's not like a regular paper in that sense because, like, I've tried to make all sorts of things out of paper, but it rips and it tears and it's not really strong. Uh, Is it like Vitek? 
you know, they make these envelopes oh, like out of Tyvek. Like Tyvek. Tyvek, sorry. Yeah. Yes, I think, that when you so try to rip them feel, open, it, you never can. I, I think it's slightly different. Oh, it's called craft text. Okay. So two words, craft hyphen text. Uh, and I haven't really experimented with it. Mostly I, Tracy was telling me about it and I saw a couple things that were made with it. It looks like leather, huh. um, but it's thinner. And, but when you ha see a bag made out of it, it looks like a leather bag. When you see a book cover made out of it, it looks like a leather book cover, which I comes thought was super cool. And so it comes in colors and black and white. And black and white, mostly browns. Um, so I bought a roll of black and a roll of white, and I'm going to try them out and see what happens. I want to see if they cut with the scanning cut. I want to see how they take paint. I want to know if you really can wash them and sew them or if that's just things that people say. Um, but I'm kind of excited. I love discovering new to me products. So that's the most exciting thing I bought. I bought a couple other things. Like she had these great pouches um, just for storage because I'm a storage whore. I love things for storage. Um, and she had some, then I bought some basics cause I always feel like, you know, I want to support stores because if there aren't stores, it'll just be sad. I mean, I love Michael's, but that can't be our only option, you know? Exactly. So why don't you then tell us about, you started the podcast by saying you're going to spend six hours tomorrow in a museum. Oh yeah. So my, I'm meeting my father tomorrow. Um, at the uh, MFA for lunch and then the in the evening I'm going to a collecting panel so I'm going to end up pretty much staying at the museum from lunch through the collecting panel which is going to be like six hours or longer than that or something like well that. is the museum so, open the whole time that you'll be hanging out there? I believe it is I mean one of the things I love about the MFA is they are open until like nine or something like that like four days a week or something insane like that so it really allows people who work to actually come and get in some good museum time um most so many museums i know close at five which is horrible and mean to you you know but it's really a gen act of generosity that they're open so late so many often and wednesdays by the way is free sketch night in the galleries at the mfa so i know that they're always open because they have you can they have a model that you can sketch for free in the galleries i mean it's you have to pay for admission to the museum or you have to be a member which in case you get to walk in free but um, that's pretty amazing too. I really, the more time I spend at the MFA, the more I really feel like they have done so much to make themselves accessible to all kinds of people. So what's this collecting panel about? Uh, literally, I know little more than the title, which is it is going to be a panel discussion about art collecting. Um, I assume that they'll be giving advice about what to collect, how to collect, how to find stuff, et cetera, et cetera, which I always think is kind of a funny thing because I guess the question I have is why are you collecting art, you know, and I'll be interested to know whether this panel is about collecting art for, you know, financial reasons, in which case I think it is hard to collect because you got to make some bets on horses. It's like gambling mm -hmm. of any kind. But I think if you're just collecting stuff that you love, you know, then as long as you love it, what does it matter? You know, you'll, you pay what it's worth to you and it gives you the love, you know, that you want from it. So 
And you can spend hours pawing over your collection, yeah, you know, rearranging it. I'm trying to think where I heard this story. I know where it was. So there's this podcast I love called Things You Miss in History Class. And they did an interview with, um, what's his name, Price's, uh, you know, the one who was on all the scary movies. Oh, Vincent, Vincent Price. Price. They did an interview with Vincent Price's daughter because she has written a um, biography of him, I guess. And so one of the things I hadn't realized is that he was a huge art collector. And a painter, maybe. And the way that his art collecting started, and I love this story, I think, by the way, and apparently he collaborated with the Sears catalog, okay? And you could buy like a little Picasso and stuff through the Sears catalog, an original. I'm not even huh. kidding you, four reels. And he did this thing where he collected, where he like gathered all these works and you could like order different works from different artists. And so, I mean, just like insane stuff that I can't imagine. I never thought of about the Sears catalog. But anyway, his art collecting started in a fascinating way, which is the story that you told, and I hope I get this right. Um, and if I didn't, go listen to that podcast because it's really good. Um, is basically he was a kid, like 11 or 12. He walked past a gallery and he saw this piece and he fell in love with it. And he walked in and he talked to the gallery owner and he yeah. wanted it. And the gallery owner, instead of turning him away and saying like, kid, go, you know, whatever, worked out a payment plan with him. And it took him like two years but he bought that painting wow yeah. i thought it was an amazing story and i thought that is a great example of somebody taking i mean it was probably inconvenient for this gallery owner to hold this painting for that long to you know do whatever but but he inspired in this kid a lifelong love of art and belief in collecting because he you know what I mean? And every yeah, he treated yeah, him, like, treated an him adult. like an adult. And every week the kid would go in, the child version of Vincent Price would go in and make a payment on this painting. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was the best reason to collect is because you love something. That is the reason to collect. And I and so I, that's why I'm so curious to know what they're gonna say on this panel is the reason uh to do it or how to choose it or what to do it. I mean I don't know. I think as with anything, you know, things are worth, we were talking about houses today, you and, you and me, right? And the thing is, mm -hmm. things, and it's like, what is it worth on Zillow versus what, and the thing is, things are worth what they're worth to you. And if you, and I always think that's so interesting, like we can watch HGTV and they say to people, what do you think this house is worth? And if they love the house, they almost always guess that it's worth like $50,000 more than the asking price. And if they don't like the house, they almost always guess that it's like twenty dollars to $50,000 less than the asking price because that's what it's worth to that's them. what it's worth to them and i was like that's so true about so many things in life right what's it worth to you i mean even when i think about stuff like weight watchers it's like you know to somebody this pizza pizza is worth the seven points to somebody else they're like no i'll take those seven points and i will you know eat this ice cream i mean whatever it is so next week you're going to HSN. They have one of their craft days, right? I think it's Is a it, craft it, day. It seems like a craft day. Do you know what date it is? Um, 
Sure, it is <laughs> next. Well, it's next Tuesday, which I think is the 14th. Is that right? That's I'm harsh. counting. Yes, That's it's harsh. the 14th. Okay, so, uh, and then you're not coming home. When? I'm not coming home forever. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Because you're going to. Because I'm going to Chicago, Chicago. Um, so I'm going to Chicago for the International Housewares Association. Something you've never done Something before, Something I've right? never done. I'm very interested to see what that is going to be. Um, What's your my purpose and goal? So I'm going there for the scanning cut. My How is that a houseware? Well, so here's the thing. It's a houseware because that's where they sell, um, they've always, the sewing machines are considered a houseware. So oh. when, like when Sears is coming through, it's their housewares division that buys sewing machines. So that's why. I still don't see how Scan and Cut is a houseware, but I'll accept it. Well, it is. It. I mean, like, I don't, even, I don't have to I understand I was going to say, everything. even the way that, like, Brother as a Company is designed, you know, it has the two halves, the business printer side, and then the HAD side, and HAD stands for Home uh, home and Design, Home and Side, or something like that. But it is the word, like, home or house is in there, I'm just saying. So, for whatever reason, that's considered houseware. So, I think it's going to be, like, a lot of washing machines... Oh. And the scan and cut. <laughs> I know. Actually, I have no idea. So I'm really curious. I've never been to the show. I'm not sure who the buyers are going to be. It's an industry show. So it's definitely like people who stock housewares. I mean, I don't I don't even know what that's going to mean. They've never. So they've always had someone from the company demonstrate the scan and cut. And so this is the first time they've brought in an outsider um, to do it. So we'll see what happens. And we'll hear your adventures. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, all right. Well, that's all I have to say, Mom, unless you have something to add. I never have anything to add. I'm just the sidekick. See, that's not true because every time that I go anywhere, people are always like, oh, your mom is so wise and all her comments are so wise. And I'm like, you don't know her like I know her. Well, you know why I'm wise? Yeah. The less you say, <laughs> the more wise people think you are. And I'm smart enough to know that. I was that. thinking they don't know you on Skype sticking your tongue out and like making little dance moves all around. You know, I'm just saying she's very, she's very wise, people. That's all. That's why we don't do video. <laughs> anyway, it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. So, as always, you can find me at bolsterdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions at bolsterdesigns.com slash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, which I hope that you do, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.